I didn't know necessarily it was magic. I knew it was effortless and easy to the point where I just listened and reacted and he did the same. And there was just this unconditional love, if you will, just through the writing and through these two vessels, these actors, you know, portraying this story. And I think that taught me when it is that easy, maybe it's meant to be. guys, it's Kathy Heller. I don't really know how to explain how I feel about today's episode. Ralph Macchio is here. And this was just so big for me. You know, I grew up watching The Karate Kid and he has such a goodness in him that I was just moved to tears doing this interview. And I tried to remain calm, but uh, there was a part of me that was just this six-year-old girl. And uh, it was actually really beautiful to have this conversation. I'm so excited to share it with you. I've been looking forward to sharing this conversation. And um, his book is out and we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about all of these beautiful things he has to say about what he's learned on his journey. Before we dive in, I just want to let you know that there's about five tickets left, at least there was this morning, to come and join me for this two-day beautiful epic workshop I'm doing in Los Angeles this week. If you want to grab tickets, you can go to kathyheller.com slash dreams. And if you use the code gather, you can grab your seed for 50% off. Andy Grammer is going to perform. We're going to be doing some beautiful meditation, journaling, and really allowing in everything that's already here, just really putting you in the driver's seat of your life. So I can't wait. And also speaking of tickets, in a couple weeks on October 30th at four o'clock, my husband's going to be doing stand up at the improv on Melrose in Los Angeles. And John Lovitz will also be there. John Lovitz from Saturday Night Live. Yeah, yeah, that's the ticket. And uh, we'll be together interviewing him, doing a live podcast. And that's going to be super fun. If you want to get tickets to that, you can go to Mark and Lowell.com, M A R K A N D L O W E L L.com. Come and see us. It's going to be super fun. It's October 30th at the Improv in Los Angeles. It's going to be stand-up comedy and a live podcast. And I think you guys would really enjoy it. It's going to be so fun. So there's a couple fun events coming up for you if you're in the LA area. And now let's talk about today's episode. Well, like I said, I'm really on cloud nine today. So Ralph Macchio is here. He is an actor and Emmy-nominated producer who you probably know from his iconic roles in The Outsiders, The Karate Kid, The Karate Kid Parts 2 and 3 also, and Cobra Kai, My Cousin Vinny, and so much more. He's also an author. He has a memoir coming out tomorrow called Waxing On, The Karate Kid and Me, and you must go get yourself a copy. And go get a copy for someone else that you know and love because everyone loves Ralph Macchio. 
This is such a beautiful celebration of the Karate Kid's legacy, and it really gives you an insider perspective on the untold story behind Ralph's starring role, including the innocence of those early days, the audition process, the filmmaking experience, and the aftermath as well. You're going to be taken through the origins of some of the film's most iconic moments, which is such a treat for someone like me who was obsessed with this movie growing up. And Ralph explores why this film and the characters have left such a huge imprint on the way he walks through life and had the lessons that he's taken with him that have enriched his present moment experience. I grew up in the 80s, so Ralph was definitely on my screen a lot. And still to this day, he holds such a special place in my heart. It was such a trip down memory lane and just a dream come true to have this time with him. He's so sweet and so humble. And um, I think that's played a huge part in why he's so successful. It's not just his career, but it's also who he is as a human being. I think you're going to find just such a beautiful light in him. And I think you'll love this. So without further ado, please welcome the one and only Ralph Macchio. I don't know if I'm going to make it without crying in this interview. So, okay, (laughs) I'll hold your hand through this, this screen and we will do it together. I'm, I'm just so in love with you. I've been watching you since I'm five years old and... We've had so many people on the show and I'm not ever this nervous ever. Oh no, I'm like, no, you know what it is? It's your sweetness. It's the goodness in you. And it's like so palpable that when I was doing research about you and then found out all the things that go along with that, like you've been married for 35 years. I'm like, I felt that when I was six, like watching uh, you. Well, so. Thank you so much. Well, I'll try to go down the dark path that no one's ever heard before and the truth behind the machio, the faux machio that puts forth this good guy thing. We'll break it down. Yeah, we'll break it down. I wish I had it. I'm the anti-E-True Hollywood story, I guess. You're just something else. And uh, I'm so grateful that you're here. What a gift. I'm so glad five years ago I started this podcast so that I could have this moment with you. It's like Christmas. So let's dive in. We're definitely going to talk about this book, but I have to sort of go back to, um, you know, we had Rob Lowe here and he was talking about the outsiders and that whole incredible process. And it is incredible how all of you have become such household names. Like just that was like a lightning in a bottle, like that whole thing. So I want to know your experience of, Being a little kid, I did a little bit of research on you and knew that you started taking tap dance lessons at three years old. So there must have been very early on just a a leaning in towards wanting to be in front of other people using your gifts. But tell us a little bit about your memory of that. Well, I, you know, my mom loved the great movie musicals. They were on when I got home from school. Yeah, never, cartoons were not on when I got home from school, maybe in the morning, but it was, <laughs> you know, it was Gene Kelly, Fred Astaire's Betty Grable, all these, you know, the MGM classics. And so I was informed in that way. You know, I'd, I'd have my Entenmann's chocolate donuts and <laughs> milk and or Chips Ahoy, whatever. I, I'm looking at me branding this whole thing, but <laughs> totally. um, that's what I, I would have and sit with my mom and watch those movies and those stories and that sort of magical, those gifts of that type of talent, you know, and Gene Kelly was, because I also wanted to be, you know, Tom Seaver and pitching in the the World Series at that time as well. So I picked the, of the two that I might be able to accomplish, 
I took some tap dance lessons because I didn't have a 95 mile an hour fastball, I guess, at uh, age six. Uh, and Gene Kelly had such an athleticism about him. And it, he was good looking and just he was a movie star. And uh, that style of dance and that style of movement was I was just mesmerized by it. I still am. You know, when you watch some of those, those films, amazing. knowing knowing how much it takes to shoot a fight scene or any kind of choreography, it's a lot of cuts. But back then, it was one shot. Yeah. I mean, you know, they were just you were just living it in real time. It felt like so that was inspirational to me. And I think my mom at some point maybe had that dream that maybe she could have, but never got into it. She was never like, "I'm going to take you to dance class. You're going to be the next Gene Kelly." That was not my mom. <laughs> My mom was nothing like that, you know, and my dad would be like, all right, so he's taking tap dancing lessons. Okay, so that's what we're doing. Okay, that's cool. He was cool. You know, he wasn't like no son of mine, whatever. But I think he probably talked an eyebrow of like, all right, so when's this phase over? Um, right now, still with us today, the two proudest parents on the face and, and it is really a, a gift to have them and have them watch what's going on in 2022 for me. And it's awesome. I can't imagine how proud they are of you. And not just because you've done so many things that check every box called success, but again, your resonance, the sweetness that you have, the humility you have is so palpable and that's your, that's your legacy. It's like, people just love you. You're so lovable. And that's what comes through the screen. And so it's, I can't imagine what it's like to be your parents and just know that like, that's my kid being just like this amazing human being. What a gift for them. So you went on to have like a string of green lights, just like you walk in rooms and people are like, yep, him, let's put the camera on his face. What was that like for you? And what was like, the first moment, because you've done so many things, like from a very young age, you had done so many things already. What was the one of those big moments? You're like, oh, my God, this is my life. I'm having this moment. This is surreal. What was one of those moments for you? Um, Great question. I think the biggest first one for me, the most impactful was The Outsiders, because I read the book when I was 12. And I connected to these guys, even though I had a fairly happy home and it's not from a broke. I didn't need to, the greasers were not my brothers. You know what I mean? I had mom, dad, and my brother. I didn't have to leave home to have happiness. Um, But there is just something about coming of age and what S.E. Hinton wrote as a 16 year old girl in that novel that was connected with me, a, not a great reader in English class or any, even to this day, (laughs) I'm not great at it. Like other people are like, right. you're done? You're done? I'm on page six. <laughs> and I just read it twice because the phone rang and I forgot what was on page four. Right. So so that one connected me personally as, you know, at 12 years old, reading about these characters trying to, uh, you know, navigate their social class differences and everything else. And then getting to audition for Francis Ford Coppola, being a part of that cast. I only wanted that part. <laughs> I was so definitively didn't even want to read for anything else. And yet he was reading everyone for different roles. So getting that was a massive moment. Like this is beyond street cred right now. I'm in a Coppola movie and the book that meant the most to me growing up. That was one moment getting the part in uh, Cuban is Teddy Bear, Robert De Niro on Broadway was another, you know, 
and that followed that by that was 86. So this was 82. So those two were like, I'm at Radio City. I'm at, I'm at Yankee Stadium. Like I'm not playing in the schoolyard. You know, those were the big ones as far as when I was in it all. As far as your question, uh, you know, yes, maybe when I got the first Bubble Yum commercial, <laughs> like, holy crap, I'm going to be on TV. You know, there might have been that. It's tough to, you know, this is yeah. a while ago. But the ones that people could connect to because they exist, yeah, uh, like those two projects and with those actors and or filmmakers were, you know, still to this day, those are the two, if I were to pick two that just blew me away as they were happening, it would be uh, uh, those. The Karate Kid and Cobra Kai, certainly. Without. Obviously. But those are the two that, that inform so much. You know, it's amazing. And I want to really highlight this for people listening, because I was born in 79. So I literally, you were like, definitely the biggest highlight of the montage of all the people I looked at. It was you. Like you had the biggest role in my life in that montage. Right. And what I want people to hear is you're such a good actor. Like it wasn't just like, oh, he's really good looking and cute. It's like the depth of who you were as an actor at such a young age. Like you were with De Niro, you were in The Outsiders. Like Everybody in that cast is an undeniable, incredible talent. It's not just the way you look. And that that is not something that happens all the time. A lot of times people have a really pretty face and that's that's doing the heavy lifting. That's not the case with you. Let's talk about, I'm so grateful that you decided to take time out of your busy, busy life and write a book about this whole journey of the Karate Kid because- as a kid, I remember feeling like that movie was control alt delete on everything in my life. Like it just, <laughs> it was religious. It was biblical. It was like every kid knows what that feels like. Every single kid. And to reach for that higher place inside of us, that lesson, I mean, everything about it, it's just, you can't overstate it enough. Like the way a movie can tell a story can impact you more than anything. It yeah. takes you into a world. So let's start to talk about it because you wrote a book about this and it's coming out very soon. When you were making that movie, were you aware that this was going to have the magnitude that it had? Um, no, but, and first of all, I agree with you on those pinnacle moments of those those movies that affect you in such a way. And yeah. it's a credit to Robert Kamen who wrote that beautiful script and John Avelson, the great director who directed it. And of course, Pat Morita being, you know, my partner in that soulful magic of what I call it in the book. I knew that I knew that Pat and I had something special that was beyond just two actors working together First of all, I heard that from anyone who would watch us. Yeah. They would just say, you guys, this is just magic. This is yeah. just, you know, I didn't know necessarily it was magic. I knew it was effortless and easy to the point where I just listened and reacted and he did the same. And there was just this unconditional love, if you will, just through the writing and through these two 
you know, vessels, these actors, you know, portraying this, this story. And so this movie called The Karate Kid, and I made fun of the title when I first <laughs> yeah. about it, and I write about it, you know, and I always wonder if it's like, maybe I knew, maybe it was foreshadowing. I knew if I ever got <laughs> this thing, I'd have to carry it for the rest of my life. So can't we change the title to like, I don't know, Reseda or... Uh, <laughs> Me and my mom go to California, or I met a human Yoda. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, all these other titles. And then it was kind of corny and a little sweet at times. I was just like, maybe this is going to be just like a after school special TV movie thing. And I didn't know. I was, you know, youth is wasted on the young. But I did know that Pat and I, it was effortless. And I think that taught me. When it is that easy, maybe it's meant to be. So I told you I wouldn't get through this without crying. So I already started crying. Um, But you know why? And you just said it is, it was so beautiful what you just said. You said there was like unconditional love between these two vessels. And that's it, right? That's why I'm crying. Because Mm -hmm. so often you watch things and the writing's good not so often, I would say, but once in a while, you watch them something and the writing's good and the actors are good and that it leaves some kind of mark. But there's very rarely, it's like once in a lifetime mm-hmm. where there's literally unconditional love, something that really feels like unconditional love. Yeah. And, and that there are two people who've like set down their ego to just have this vulnerability And that's what it is. And I think you just helped me put words to it. That's, that's why I'm crying because that's what we all got is we were taken on this ride for 90 minutes and we're witness to what happens to a person when someone loves you and you let them Mm -hmm. like what can happen, how healing that is and what you can find inside yourself when you allow somebody to be in your life in that way. And that's it. And it's just, um, what else is there? Like, that is the greatest yeah. lesson. No, it's it's great. You know, it's interesting as you were speaking and, and reiterating what I said, when I was saying it, I realized I'd never, because I didn't write those words in the book. I didn't write the unconditional love part. I mean, you get that in the yeah. writing. I talk so much about it, but this might've been the first time I ever called it that. <laughs> which is kind of interesting and in because that is the truth. When I speak, when I write about Pat and our relationship and the Miyagi and Daniel of it all and how that's affected my life and the world and gives back. And that is, you know, listen, it all came from Robert's came in script, but it, it was enhanced by the two right people carrying the scripture, if you will. And so I don't take any of that for granted um, now, there might have been a chunk of years in the 90s and early 2000s when the career was, I had certain struggles in trying to fight through the stereotypes of all that totally. stuff and, and look for the next chapter, if you will. But so now it's crystal clear. I never doubted it. You know, it was so, like I said, so effortless from the start. But now as you get older and wiser and have your own kids or see other people, you know, these are the life lessons that you could hand hand off. And that's precisely why this book is really a celebration of that movie and pop culture and cinema and my own personal life. It's the, you know, it is that, that journey and that, you know, it's paying it forward in a way. 
Oh, it's so beautiful. I, my kids are six, nine and 10 and we've shown them the movie so many times and it, it just holds up because those are all the things as, as human beings that those are the moments in our rite of passage. So every person can sit yeah. down and like walk away with a little bit of truth, right? Which is what yeah. we all need. So when you wrote this book, because the movie already does so much and done so much, what, what were you wanting to say about it? What were you feeling you wanted to add or that you want people to know in why you wrote a book about this whole experience? Well, I think that one, I felt I, I have a unique voice because I'm inside. I don't want to, you know, yeah. I don't want to call it inside from the eye of the hurricane because it's, it's the most positive hurricane ever, but it's like, so it's, it's perspective. The people who experienced the Karate Kid or it's had an impact in their lives or watched the Cobra Kai series and love it for so whatever good. reasons. I wanted to speak to and tell the story from the moment, you know, I was sitting on my, beanbag chair on the shag carpet in my Long Island house and the phone rang and they was saying that the guy who directed Rocky's making a movie about a kid who gets picked on and learns karate from a master and do you want to audition for it? We have an appointment Tuesday at three o'clock. You know, from that moment up until what's still living and breathing and evolving, it's a unique perspective of the journey and a little of the behind the scenes untold stories and some of the missteps. I mean, the, the book is sort of broken up into three areas, getting the part, making of the film. Then there's the afterlife after the crane takes flight, if you will, <laughs> or leading into the, you know, the frozen in time elements that I have to deal with. And people I can't even imagine from that. And the fact, and my, my lack of aging quick enough to catch up to and having to deal with that. And so it's like, I get to tell that story and always go back to the LaRusso, the Daniel LaRusso of it all, and also jump forward to the Cobra Kai of it all and how it's one's impacted the other from my perspective. And then some of the mistakes, you know, although I think I write this, although I feel I've stuck the landing, there have been times where I did not have the balance uh, in the finding balance section that we all look for in life. And when I talk about how I always try to keep one foot in and one foot out, no matter what it is um, in life, in marriage, in work, it's about balancing it all. And that's all, those are all Miyagi-isms. So using them and talking about my personal life and how it's been informed by that and how I've taken things from it or I give back to it. I think maybe a young reader might find a few, I don't want to call them pearls, but a few <laughs> moments of enlightenment through my journey. And then the audience that is, you know, in their 30s and 40s and older will kind of be in lockstep and look at, here's the thing, you can have this zaniness of a career, which is quite insecure, and somehow wind up still on your feet and never having fallen down the slippery slope and the crash and burn. I mean, I've any crashing and burning I've done, I've fallen on my own knees. I haven't gotten sucked down to the point of the loss of control, but that's part of uh, just my own sensibilities. And I'm fortunate. I blame my parents for that. Oh my God. I love every word. I'm like sitting here just like looking at the moon, like, Oh, what a <laughs> gift. What, a, what an absolute total gift. 
So that's really fascinating, you know, that you're saying that we just had Justine Bateman here and she she wrote a book about fame and like the peak and the valleys and like, you know, and and she had a a different experience, Mm -hmm. um, which was really hard. And she was saying how just hard that is on, on like your, your identity with you. It's, it's a different journey. But there were times where I walked in the room and no, they knew they knew too much and they were not interested. <laughs> so that's a different, you know what I mean? It's like swimming in pea soup, trying to where before it was like everything was on the platter. And so that's a tough, I think, living outside of Hollywood, living outside of it all, living. I don't know if I stayed in it and was grasping for it during those lean times that, you know, if I didn't have my family and my wife at that point, and it certainly put strain on us as a couple, you know, and even when we had, my kids were young, the beauty of it, I mentioned this in the the book is that it's almost like I did it by design, like everything died down in my career so I could be with my family. And now I raised my kids and then on the careers back and flourishing. (laughs) Yeah. And they're enjoying it and they tune into Cobra Kai and Champion and it's Cheer so good. It's yeah. Crazy. So have some of that as well, just in a different uh, Well, I am I guess for all of us, right? Like whether we're famous people or we're not famous people, we all have an ego, right? We all have like yeah. this ego, and then we also have this part of us that's soul, consciousness, whatever you want to call it. I've been working my way painfully through meditation for 20 years. And so I know this part of me that's like a witness to everything else, but I can only imagine the challenge when the world defines you so much by your ego constantly. You're this and it's, it's your face and it's your looks and it's also your talent. And it's like, but I'm so much more of this other part of me that for all of us is already hard. I just can't imagine being on the cover of every magazine for years in a row and people screaming at you who just projecting on you all these things Mm -hmm. and then staying married for 35 years and having kids. And do you have some kind of a spiritual practice? Do you have something that grounds you to who you really are? That's a great question. I mean, listen, credit goes to my, my lovely wife of all this time. I mean, she's had to, you know, when you, when you're in the wings and you're and have this, bear witness to all of it during as you're creating your couplehood or coupleness. Yeah. You know, you have to be the type of person that can that can deal with that. And she she's a nurse practitioner. She's you know yeah. So she is a caregiver, a people person, sometimes people pleaser. We debate about that. (laughs) She's more selfish. Uh, way more, but that's because it's me, me, me. You know, it still is, like you said, it's thrust upon you. It becomes part of it. Another day at the office, being recognized, being praised. I mean, I look at the the Karate Kid people, like, thank you for bringing Cobra Kai. Yeah. Thank you for this thing. Yeah, I didn't have. I had something to do with it. I, it wasn't all me. Definitely wasn't all me. I was just the kid who got the part. And I was probably not even a kid then, but shh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> you know? And so um, I have a sense of humor about it. Um, there are there are plenty of days, plenty of days where I would maybe not be as pleasant to be around because there was the absence of where mm-hmm. I wanted to be, yeah. you know, and they there are certainly challenging days, never to a point of loss of control 
or rarely to a point where it would affect my marriage or family. Yeah. Um, but there were certainly those days where it put undue pressure on all of that. And I write to one of those little moments when I was doing a project in Los Angeles that my heart wasn't into. And I was both my career and my family life were suffering because I, and I, I tie that into a Miyagiism. It was a point where I wasn't walking left side or right side. I was waffling down the middle, getting squished like grape, which is a early Miyagi lesson to Daniel, Daniel-san, you know? And so that's what I try to do with the book as well. And I think I'm hoping people find that entertaining and also thought provoking and informative as well. It's amazing. How much do you feel like Pat Morita himself is alike in that character? And how much do you feel like that experience of just being in his life? has lasted for you as a person there. And listen, we, we all have pieces of the character. The only way to be honest, I mean, I guess you can, you know, play a psychotic serial killer and really be a nice guy. So, <laughs> you know, but there's always an element of yourself you have to bring to the character. I'm sure you've heard that every actor says that, right. But it is true because you have to come from an organic yeah. place of truth. And I think you could not have that Mr. Miyagi and that soulfulness if it was not part of who who Pat was. Was he just like Mr. Miyagi? Not necessarily, you know. He was a stand-up comic. And yeah, he's he a goofball. At two in the morning, you know, and playing around and living life in Vegas here and there and between gigs. So Mr. Miyagi would go fishing and go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, you know, the legacy of that character, and I run into, I talk about, you know, the blurred lines, you know, where Daniel Russo ends and where Ralph Macchio begins is part of, and the same thing for, I think, for Pat and Miyagi. It's the blurred lines. It's the, you know, people think they say, hey, so how is it, how was it growing up in Newark? Yeah, you know, I didn't grow up in Newark. (laughs) And I didn't have a, you know, a a Japanese-American guy working in the basement of my apartment building. I'm from Long Island and... (laughs) But no, 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 no. You have to, you, you definitely have a green station wagon, right? I mean, oh you're my mom, God, that was the hell, you know, but it's, it's kind of wonderful to have that, especially, I mean, it's 40 years later, 38 years later, people still talk endearingly about that. So I had to write that story from my perspective, what it's been, especially in lieu of what we have now, a yeah. show, you know, close to number one around the world. It's incredible. Let's talk about that show. So my daughter goes to school with Hadley Hurwitz. So I know ah. her parents okay. really well. And John's such a great guy. And I remember when he was telling me, you know, recently, like about how he originally pitched this. And I'm thinking probably a zillion people wanted to make something about the Karate Kid. Why did you decide to say yes to this? Because I'm sure there were many other yes. opportunities. Yes. Yeah. I, I write about two or three of them that were just insanely hilarious over the years. But this one, John Hurwitz, who you mentioned is, you know, the reason Cobra Kai exists at this Such level. A sweet guy. He's, he's a great fellow Met fan. So we are dealing with a tough weekend against <laughs> the Braves. But moving on from sports for a moment. <laughs> He, his partner, Hayden Slosberg, and, and Josh Heald came to New York to pitch this. And they care so much about the original movies. They know way more than I yeah. do about them. It is, you know, just a big influence on their lives. And they care so much about the material, about the characters. 
obviously the concept was to go in through the eyes of Johnny Lawrence and redeem the bully and make LaRusso a little bit of a guy who became a little too arrogant and living off his one kick success. And I <laughs> debated the the truth in all of that, but understood that that was the inroads in. And they understood the Miyagi of it all for me was paramount. And if that was not woven throughout the series, then I wouldn't be interested. It was not so much for Pat Morita's sake or my, it, it's just, that was the secret sauce. You know, yeah. Miyagi is the karate kid. Yeah. You know, a kid overcoming obstacles, getting picked on, winning in the end is you can name 10 movies. But the magic was in that character and taking nothing away from what I gave to the, the film 100 percent. But so they were listening and they listened. They had a, a phenomenally well thought out pitch. They spoke of the next generation characters the the Robbie character, uh, Johnny's son, and how Daniel would train him and bring him. And now I'm starting to see who Sholo, Sholo's character of Miguel is the millennial Daniel LaRusso, if you will, the fatherless kid with a single mom. Now I'm starting to see they care so much. And I started to feel the longevity with the next generation cast. Two guys in their 50s arguing about the same kick you know, which is not a sin, and it's still a tent pole that holds the whole circus. That was just a one-off idea, a smart angle in. You know, Creed, the movie Creed had just come out. And so that was the, how do you get into the Rocky universe and not feel like you're making Rocky 7? You had Apollo Creed's kid, and there's your protagonist. So this, in a way, was flipping the perspective. Whatever happened to this guy who got kicked in the face? Yeah. What what happened to his life? And then what happened to the other guy's life? And let's see how one impacted the other. It was just very well uh, thought out. Still jumping in the water and holding my breath, closing my eyes. It was still a leap of faith. I had no idea. You don't know if you're going to hit the water and it's going to be 75 degrees or is it going to be, you know, 28 <laughs> degrees or 200. So, but it was time to jump in. It just felt... I look really smart, extremely lucky. I'll take both. And it's kind of just the gift that this Karate Kid universe continues to create. It's Christmas morning at every turn, but it's because everyone cares. And those guys, Hurwitz and his his team. Oh, yeah. So much. And we debate. We do debate. There's push-pull. I'm like, you're going to have him do this? And they explain, but they can see the whole, you know, canvas. I'm a little more protective of my character. And and sometimes, you know, I had to knuckle under and I'd be frustrated about it. But when they heard certain frustrations in character, all of a sudden the next season, something else would come out and pay off from that. And we go, we got to go further with that push-pull of, of storytelling. And now they've created such a huge ensemble. It's amazing. Um, the San Fernando Valley is, I mean, like Thanos <laughs> is walking down Ventura Boulevard in a karate gi. Uh, but God bless, man. People are loving it. And it's, oh, people it's, are loving it. It's really, really a unicorn. I mean, there's very yeah. few things I can think of that are any kind of sequel or reboot that are that, that take this proportion, you know, and magnitude. It's incredible what it's doing and how everybody loves it. It's incredible. You said something about the kid who doesn't have a dad. Mm-hmm. And that character being, you know, kind of a theme. And I look at what's happening just in the world. There's so much brokenness. 
Mm-hmm. And um, you talked about how that Miyagi, that heart, that sensibility is the whole thing for you. When you look at just some of the hard things and some of the darkness that, that goes on just in the world, what do you want people to potentially think about that? What do you think might be something that could help to to consider? What do you think? If there was a real life Mr. Miyagi, what would he maybe say about the world and how to maybe get more in alignment? Yeah, it is. We are in a challenging time and place, that's for sure. And everything is so divided. The, the one thing we do talk about, and I was just saying, alluding to this, you know, about an hour ago on how the Karate Kid and Cobra Kai, for that matter, Cobra Kai, certainly. So let's talk present. Let's not talk the movie of yesterday, which still is relevant, but it's mothers and daughters, fathers and sons and grandparents are all watching this thing. It's liberal left and conservative right yeah. are, are all watching this thing. And it's touches on human themes, right? It touches on mentorship overcoming obstacles, you know, bullying, just to name a few of the themes that are inherent in the Karate Kid and Cobra Kai. And so it connects on a human level. The Karate Kid always has. It doesn't offend anybody unless you're a bully, I guess. They should be offended. Um, So you wonder this show, Cobra Kai, that comes out during the pandemic on Netflix and became everything, you know, just what the doctor ordered in a way for the world. And it, it's not super high art. It's, you know, it's entertainment. But I think there's some connective tissue with just putting it all down and just embracing the human elements of this heightened reality, which is this show, and connecting to these characters. No political talk in this show at all. It's just there's a little bit of masculinity and maybe toxic masculinity and every problem gets solved with a karate fight. So yes, it goes probably into that world, but it's, we all can enjoy something together. There's no one, you know, but out in the street, we don't if we have an opinion or if we have, and there's often not a coming together, a compromise, a willingness to put that aside. And I think, you know, with this film and with this show, it does not discriminate against anyone's opinions. It's just, you know, a place to sort of feel something. There are, you know, listen, Cobra Kai, I've had people come up to me saying, I watched that episode, I was crying. Now, it's in the same episode that like there are snakes in the auto dealership and 10 ninjas like beating up one guy. But yet I, you know, I'm on my knees in Miyagi's grave asking for some guidance and people are crying. So I think you could have all of that and just stop being so divisive. Yeah. Even when you're watching the villain and the hero arguing from two opposite sides. I don't know. No, it's beautiful. I don't think we're red or blue. I think we're purple. I was like, I think this country is a purple country and we need to be purple. So my last question is, you know, so many people who listen to this show, so much of what causes pain is there's a bully in their life in some way, whether it's someone says something on social media or it's a somebody in their life. And it's amazing how much of our mind that takes up so much space in people's day, mm-hmm. wanting to be liked, wanting to fit in, wanting to please. And uh, it's exhausting. Yep. And so, you know, you've, 
you've had experience just in your own life and also in the stories you've told about overcoming that. And I think, gosh, if people could set that down, their lives would feel like freedom. Yeah. What do you say to someone who feels like there's someone that they're allowing to bully them in their life? And and what might be one thing we could do to make that change? Yeah, listen, bullying is very, very complex issue, whether it's the schoolyard bully, the right. They take your lunch money. I'm going to, you know, physical bullying. But then in the workplace, there's bullying now with the internet, with phones and, you know, this faceless, it's covert and stealth. It's very, very complicated. You know, there's a book called the, the Bully, the Bullied and the Bystander, right? So the bystander, you could argue, is as guilty as the bully. So I think, and I will give my disclaimer, I am not a psychologist or educated outside of just in the education of walking in my own shoes and experiencing life for how many years and you could look it up. I think having a voice, if you see it and coming and putting your, your own ego aside and stepping up for some, if you see something, see something, say something theory. Like if I, I am very disturbed when, if I see someone being bullied in some way and I try to, step forward and be a either sounding board or have a voice about it. I think if more people did not just turn the other cheek, it would maybe inspire some of the victims of it to have the confidence to move forward and not run their lives by it or allow it to run their lives. It's very complicated. So easy to say, you know, I'll just claim it again. It's just a perspective and not, don't do what Machio said. He's happily married. He's got the answer. <laughs> it's not that easy. But I think if we all as a community, as a people, um, if we see something, support and say something or be there for the people we care about. I hope that when you go to sleep every night and you put your head on your pillow, you are aware of how much goodness you give every second. You are just such a prize. It's such a gift to have you in this world, seriously. And I'm just one of millions and millions and millions of people who feel that way about who you are, not just what you do. So just thank you so much. Tell everybody, I believe the book comes out on the 18th. Is that correct? October 18th. Yes. Tell everybody where they can find it. I imagine they can find it everywhere, but Tell them where you want to send them to your Instagram website. Yeah, I think. Well, listen, if you follow my Instagram or, or Twitter, I'm, you know, I'm posting along with the publisher where it is. You can get it anywhere. Yeah. I mean, from your Barnes and Nobles through your Amazons, through your personal bookstores. And though I did the audio book, so if fun. you want to learn how to drive yourself crazy, lock yeah. yourself in the room for five days and talk about yourself and your movie. But God knows, I think I, I did justice and you get my voice if you don't want to read it. But the having the hardcover and there's some great pictures in there from the making of the film and behind the scenes sketches of ideas before they became iconic movie moments and and some never before seen stuff. So I hope folks come out and, and get it. Oh, and I hope it, I hope it gives back as it was intended to do so. Oh my gosh, it's going to be such a giant bestseller. And it's so cool because it'll be more opportunities for you to be 
doing this, which is really yeah. what people want is more of you. Thank you so much for coming awesome. on. Thanks. You're terrific. And, and <laughs> God bless. And thank you for the, you know, I'm going to be floating all day long, no matter who comes into my life today. I'm going to be like, don't worry about it. I just had the nicest 35, 40 minutes. I adore you. Thanks. God bless. Here. Thank you. Oh my gosh. I really just can't believe that that happened and uh, that I get to do things like this. He's incredible, right? He's amazing. All right, here are the takeaways. Number one, soulful magic is created in unconditional love. Number two, let yourself be a vessel for the story and for the message. Number three, when it's that easy, maybe it's meant to be. Number four, keep one foot in and one foot out. It's about balancing it all. Number five, come from an organic place of truth. Number six, set aside the divisiveness and connect on a human level. We can all enjoy something together. And number seven, if you see something, say something. Put your ego aside and step up. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening to this show. You have no idea what it means to me that you're here. I know that you have just so much going on in your life, and it means a lot that you spend this time here. And I would so appreciate, if you're not already subscribed, that you go subscribe because it's free to subscribe, and we have so many good episodes coming up. So please make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. And if you enjoyed this episode or any episode, then share it. If you'd like to post about this episode, you can tag Ralph. He's at Ralph underscore Machio. That's M-A-C-C-H-I-O. If you post about this on Instagram, tag him and you can tag me at Kathy.Heller and I'll definitely repost a bunch of those. And lastly, we have about five seats left for the two-day event I'm doing this coming week, Thursday and Friday in LA. You can grab your tickets at kathyheller.com slash dreams. We will be journaling, meditating, sound bath, breath work. There'll be a hypnosis session led by an incredible team, as well as a performance by Andy Grammer and one of my favorite bands, The Rescues. Not to mention Amy Purdy will be there as well. It's going to be such a sensational two days. Definitely go grab those tickets. And if you're in LA and you want to be enjoying some comedy, you can come join me and my husband at the Improv on October 30th. We'll be doing a live podcast with John Lovitz from Saturday Night Live. My husband will be doing some stand-up as well. So you can grab tickets to that by going to the Improv's website or just go to markandlowell.com. Mark is my husband's podcast co-host. And you can go to M-A-R-K-A-N-D-L-O-W-E-L-L, markandlowell.com. You can grab tickets for that. That's October 30th at 4 o'clock at the Improv in LA. I'll leave you with a song of mine, and I'll talk to you soon.
Yes, 